Thank you so much for listening to Urbanistica podcast. I am Mustafa Sharif, an urban planner, and you're more than welcome to join my big journey of exploring the making of smarter and more livable cities. Please don't forget to follow Urbanistica on the different social media platforms. And also let's connect on LinkedIn. Big thanks to Urbanistica podcast partner, Avery. Avery is an international engineering and design company providing sustainable solutions in the fields of energy, industry, and infrastructure. Are you ready for a new episode? Let's go for it. the pleasure to welcome you alexander to urbanistica podcast hey and welcome thank you very much mustafa it's a pleasure to be here thank you so much for coming finally we met erl yeah it's so fun i've seen you on uh, linkedin so much and uh, on social media so it's uh, really fun being here and and seeing you live yeah exactly how are you how are you doing i'm good i've uh, I've had a good night of sleep which i think is really important yeah Um, uh, fresh air, uh, a little bit of sun, so yeah, I'm, I'm good. That's nice. And you you live uh, you live close to the studio, right? Yeah, uh, it was only a 15 minute bike ride here, so nice. it was perfect. I, I managed to get lost uh, one road down <laughs> here, but otherwise than that, I that's was fine. Good. Yeah. yeah, you managed to come here. Yeah. Are you ready, Alexander? I am ready. That's good. Let's go. Let's go. So, tell us, tell the listeners about you. How would you like to introduce yourself? And tell us about your passion. Yeah. So I love working with sustainability and especially climate change on solutions for climate change. So renewable energy, uh, timber buildings, low carbon um, uh, materials, etc. And that's why I've ended up working with sustainability questions at an architectural company. So, and I've been doing that for a couple of years now. And um um yeah th- that's one way of introducing me i would say um i've been for me th- working with sustainability has been um it's been something i wanted to do since since i was little so for me it's um it's really interesting being here and and seeing how much is happening in this area right now i think that since i work with uh, in the building sector it's a it's like a large transformation going on in front of our eyes and sometimes it's difficult to tell how how big this transformation is since you're in the middle of it. But uh, so I'm really excited about where we are right now. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah. So so now you're working with your passion, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I am. That's amazing. And tell us more about you, like your background, education, family. Yeah. So um, the reason for why I ended up working with sustainability questions is because I've been brainwashed since I was a little child. So my my dad worked a lot with sustainability questions in the 70s and 80s, 90s. So my whole childhood has been, he's speaking a lot and trying out new ideas on me. So I've always had that part and I didn't realize that. But but for me, it's always been a natural part of me that I wanted to work with this uh, because of that, I think. And also um, when I was young, he... He brought up. Uh, he took me and my sister up in the north of Sweden uh, to go hiking in the, in the Swedish mountains, and that has been a, had a big impact on me. Every year, every summer, we went up there hiking, and just seeing that nature and the, the rawness of it, I would say, has led me into an area where I wanted to work with that. I wanted to work to somehow, I don't know if protected is the right word, but I, I wanted to work with um, trying to. Yeah, I wanted to work with solutions to to fight off climate change. Mm-hmm. And what did you study? 
So I studied um, I studied um, environmental engineering, uh, focusing on at LTH down in Lund, and um, I, I, f- I focused on energy systems and renewable energy. So that that's my master. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so so it's and then I ended up uh, working. So I've always been interested in architecture, and so for me it was a decision. Okay, should I study architecture or should I study environmental engineering? Uh. But then I ended up doing this, and um, I haven't regretted myself yeah. so far. That's good. But now you you are working now. I'm working at an architect. Yeah, 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 with architects. Yeah, that's amazing. How do you find it? Is it easy to to, to collaborate with architects? Yeah, I, I would say I had a really um, picture of how architects are. That everybody is very very creative, <laughs> and you know. Uh, but I would say that there's different types of architects some architects are these really innovative creative architects and they just do their thing you know <laughs> and then they you have the architects that really love details and use drawing small 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 details and everything should be precise you know and uh, maybe not on the creative side for creating new buildings and stuff but but you need both i would say you need the whole spectra mm-hmm. um but yeah i love working with architects because Usually, I, I would say something that architects are really good at is the social sustainability aspect. They often think about the social sustainability aspect of buildings How? and the areas. They they want to create something that's good for people. They want people to enjoy the space. They want to create, you know, placemaking. They they think about these things naturally. Many of them, yeah. I would say, and. I don't probably. I think more in terms of uh, carbon dioxide and mm. clim- climate change. So you so you think like uh, most of the architects thinking or focusing more about like creating the experience by design, experience for so. people. Yeah, I think many uh, anyway do that. Mm. That's my that's my impression. And also, if you look at um, many, not just the link architecture where I work, but also other architectural firms, I see this focus a lot. Mm. Like they they are usually working with social sustainability questions, mm. which is really really important. Yeah, but do you think that architects can really make a change when it comes to reducing the carbon emissions? Yeah, uh, I think so. I think um, so. I do in my work. I, I work a, a lot of hands-on in projects uh, trying to reduce carbon emissions by um, working with life cycle analysis and putting up, you know, a strategy or ideas for okay, how can we reduce the carbon emissions in our projects? Mm. And working uh, with architects then. I have found is really, really important because usually the way consultant, architects are consultants, of course, but yeah. usually the way consultants work is that they produce a report and then they give this report to the, the project manager and then everybody looks at this report. Maybe you read a little bit of it, you know, and then at the end of it, they say, okay, this is the, it, it becomes more like of a stamp, you know, okay, we managed to achieve this certification. We managed to reduce carbon emissions or or not, you know, or, or it's more like of a status quo. But if you work early on in the stage, which architects do, then you actually have the potential to do change. Mm. You have, you have the ability to go in early on and suggest improvements, not only measuring. Mm. Uh, it, it, I don't know if um, if that makes sense. Yeah, I understand you. So, so what what is like your 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 position and role now in Lynx Architects? So right now I'm a sustainability manager. So, but but that means I work hands on in projects, but I also work with broad uh, strategy questions for the for the company. Can you mention like to us some of the climate smart design principles? Yeah, sure. So, I. 
I, I think it's an interesting question. Uh, you know, okay, so how can we reduce carbon emissions in projects? Because, and, and since I've worked a lot with it in our projects, I've thought, okay, so how do we do it? And, and it always starts with this engineering perspective of measuring, mm. you know, quantifying, quantifying in Excel, you know, everything like that. And but then I realized, okay, but there are actually heuristics or principles that you could use. You don't always need to measure, even though I am, I, I love measuring and, and quantifying, <laughs> but but there are actually things you can do uh, by just setting up these design principles for the project, so for the project group. Mm-hmm. And then you could say, okay, we need to work with um, uh, by reducing the materials. Okay, so if you reduce the materials, then you reduce costs, but you also reduce carbon emissions. Uh, we need to work with uh, simplicity. So what does that mean? Well, if, if we work with usually, um, if we have um, if we have a problem in the design phase, usually we have a we have a tight deadline and everybody's stressed. So what they do is they try to solve the problem and they, and they used to put more materials on top of uh, the wall. Okay, so we have acoustic problems, we have fire problems. So they used to put these gypsum boards on on the wall, right? Mm. But instead of and this is because of the stress and that everything is on a tight deadline. But instead of uh, taking two steps back and thinking, okay, so why did we have this problem from the beginning? Yeah. And then you realize, okay, so actually we can do something with the roof. And if we do this thing with the roof, then we don't need a gypsum on the wall mm. because then we've solved uh, the fire requirements and the acoustics. And this way of thinking, I think is really interesting because we don't actually need to measure then. We just need to work with these principles and I know it might sound a bit, um, yeah, so many people would say not scientific, but I would say that these design principles actually are really interesting way of putting forward because then you don't need to know exactly, but you know, okay, so if we use these principles, then we have the potential of reducing the emissions. Mm. And um, that is something I'm exploring right now. And I think it's actually working quite well. I think people understand these design principles and they get inspired. And also I like the design principles. So so there are many different design principles. Simplicity one, uh, reducing um, passive desi- passive uh, energy design, you know. A- and, and if you give this design principle, you don't need to give the exact solution. And I like that part also because many times people think that, okay, so you work with sustainability, then you should give the answer. Like the exact number. Yeah. And no, I I, do, I think we're just in the beginning of this. People don't, we don't know the best solutions for reducing carbon emissions in our projects. We have just started exploring this. We don't have, you know, we have ideas on what is good and what is not good, but this is just the beginning. Mm. And what does that mean? Well, that means it will develop a lot the next coming 10 years. So in that case, well, um, then we need to find we need to build up a creativity in the project groups and and ask you know okay what can you contribute because w- when you start asking questions to these different experts like construction engineer acoustics um everything like that you realize that they are they have ideas themselves on how they want to reduce and if you bring in those ideas you and you give room for those ideas mm. then you really can reduce carbon emissions in a project mm. So, so the, you have like a kind of uh, template or design principle before when you start every single project. Okay, let's take a look of, on this and then let's start the sketching. Or, <clears throat> or how does it work like in a practical way? So for me, I've, I've started experimenting with this. Mm. So I don't have a set up uh, game plan exactly how <laughs> to use it. I'm just uh, 
experimenting with it right now and, and introducing some design principles in certain projects. And um, because for me, it's a new type way of working instead of exactly giving the solution. Mm. Okay, we need to build in timber. We need to, you know. Yeah. Um, and then see what what kind of solutions the group brings forward. Yeah. So do, do you do you see the architects like not really happy about these climate friendly design principles? How do they react when no, you when you when you go to them and say, okay, we need to work with simplicity, material choice, and so on? No, I, I think architect most architects love this type of uh, you know trying to everybody wants to contribute, and I think this is actually an interesting question that it's not only architects, it's all the consultants in, in the entire design phase. Everybody wants to go to work and feel that they are making a difference. Many mm. people take this climate anxiety home with them and they say, okay, I need to um, eat vegetarian, I need to fly less, I need to... Um, Buy less, know, less clothes. Yeah, you know, uh, not driving a car, everything like that. And, and they have this anxiety and they and they think a lot about how do I... How can I reduce my carbon footprint, my private carbon footprint? Instead of going to work every day, eight hours, your most productive time of the of the day. Yeah. And you think, how can I contribute by reducing carbon emissions where I work? Mm-hmm. I mean, if let's say you you reduce the carbon emissions, your your private carbon emissions by ninety percent, that's a lot of hours you need to put in maybe to to be able to do that. Mm. Let's say you go to work and you reduce your project's carbon emissions by one or two percent. Mm. Well, that's a big difference. Um, I, I can promise you that if you do that, you have a much bigger uh, contribution on a global scale. But maybe it's, um, I, and I don't think people think like that, uh, really. Um, but but once they realize that this project is actually has a profile of being climate neutral, mm. then most people are very engaged and they want to bring out their ideas and and they're proud of working in that kind of projects. Yeah. Do you, do you think, because now what I'm noticing, like before, back in days, there was like an architect doing everything, planning everything, mm-hmm. then architect and an engineer, then architect, mm. engineer, and like acoustic consultant. And now what we notice here, now we having we have environmental and sustainability expert within the group. Yeah. Do you think it's important? Because like some small companies, they cannot afford the money for a sustainability consultant to be part yeah. of the group. How, how should... They deal with this. Should they mm. like go for it more education or what? What do you think? What is your reflection? It's an interesting question. I haven't thought about exactly how they should um, try and solve that. Uh, I have thought about the role of the sustainability consultants, mm. and one idea that I've um, that I've thought of is that well, my ambition is that we are not needed at the end of it. I think that should be the end goal of all people working with sustainability is that you know. It should be a natural part of the project. Yeah. The architect and the construction engineer and the project manager, they should own this question. And the sustainability consultant shouldn't even be needed. Mm. And maybe that's a utopia that won't happen. I, I don't know. But that's one of the things I've thought of that I don't think that sustainability consultants would be needed in the future anyway. Mm. So regarding your question of small companies, well, I hope that... I don't have a good answer to that, how how they should deal Mm. with it. Maybe they should deal with it by, you know, there's a risk of not doing it as well. There's a risk of, you know, taking in this, uh, investing money and and trying to build uh, sustainable buildings. Yeah. There is a big risk of not doing anything um, also. Because of lack of knowledge. 
yeah, they don't build up any any knowledge within the company that they could educate themselves. They could try out stuff. They don't need to do everything at once. They could do something small yeah. and start building up that and doing incremental change at the time. And, and I think that if you start by, you know, okay, let's reduce the carbon emissions by 2%. Well, let's do 2% again. And you build up this knowledge and suddenly you have this... Um, this compound interest rate. So it becomes bigger and bigger. Mm. So I think this is important. I think if you don't do anything uh, and you don't educate yourself within sustainability questions in the building sector today, I don't think you'll be a player within the next 10 years. I, I don't I don't think you're in the game. Yeah, because like the market requires you to be very, I'd say, knowledgeable when mm. it comes to sustainability. And if you yeah. don't die, you lose your business. For sure. There's a reason for why, instance, Vasa Kronan is, you can see them everywhere and they're winning prizes for sustainable projects and investing a lot of money in that. There's a reason for why they are doing that. It's because they have realized that this is going to be a really important step uh, within the next coming 10 years. And AFRI as well, you know, uh, working a lot with companies have realizing this, that we need to work with sustainability yeah. to survive. Like making money by sustainability as well. Yeah. That's an important part of it, I would say. Yeah. So to understand like your answer for the question about the small companies, your advice is that they start with the small steps, like start with exploring what is sustainability, read more, educate, educate your employees, and step by step until like you, you become really strong player. Yeah. I I have um <clears throat> it's um it's always difficult to give advice to other people, right? <laughs> I, I would say. Uh, sometimes it's easier to give advice of what not to do. Um, something that you shouldn't do is not do anything. That That's one <laughs> advice I would give. Yeah. The, the say, but but uh, answering your question, I would say, yeah, starting small. And I have been in many projects where, where the project leader comes up and they want to put up a plan for the sustainability in, in our project. And my impression is that they want to, if if it's not going to be 100% perfect, they're not sure they want to take the step. They mm. want to know every single risk in the way. That's not how life works. Life is not about um, knowing all the risks everywhere. Life is also about, you know, trying out these risks and trying to tackle them. Because if you don't try it, you won't learn from it. You, you learn by doing. You don't learn by reading. Mm -hmm. So I would say start doing than like experimenting. Yeah, mm. I think that's uh, that's the best. That's how I uh, that's how I learned um, mm. um, all the things I've learned about uh, reducing carbon emissions in projects. Mm. How how do you do? How do you work with the with this aspect in in links architects when it comes to to climate? Do you do you have like a specific policies in the office? And yeah, projects? so we have um, we have a sustainability compass that we use early on in the project. Uh, which then um, we have a, a meeting where we workshop and we think about ideas because every project is unique and different. So, you know, and this is something that many projects, many companies or architects, uh, you know, they try and focus on everything at the same time. They want to solve all sustainability questions at the... At when you say sustainability, do you mean like the, the social, environmental, and economic? Yeah, precisely. Right. And then you could divide social sustainability that you're, you're an expert within, you know, okay, so if I used to say social sustainability, I mean, how many social sustainability questions are there? Thousands. Yeah. And so you try and solve all of those, and then you try and solve all of the climate change and all the mm. ecological sustainability questions. 
if you do that, you don't do anything, I think. So we have a setup where we try and uh, focus a lot about, okay, so which are the important questions in this project and how are we going to solve them? And mm. that is something we have called, that's something we're calling impact architecture. So we have these six focus areas that we are trying to focus extra um, uh, a lot on. Which are the these areas? It is, um, so reducing carbon emissions, it's circularity, which also goes hand in hand. It's uh, biodiversity, and then it's um, health within the building. So the, the other three are uh, regarding to social sustainability. Mm -hmm. So it's health, security, and equality. Um, you know, um, health, the health part is a lot about trying to make areas where people move and, and um, encourage uh, walking or activities. Exercising. You know? Yeah. How do we design cities that are like that? And, and I think you are much better probably at that kind of stuff than me. Um, so you have, this is one, the health. When it comes like to circularity is more about, are we talking material wise or more system like ventilation, energy? Both, I would say, because um, if you look, it's more of a philosophical point of view. You know, the, the way we work today is linearly. We have, and this circularity part is just trying to make everything uh, you know, both both the business plan, but also the materials within, you know, if, if you talk about circularity within client, uh, materials, then there's one aspect, you know, many projects they work with, that work with um, uh, circular materials, they, they, they start their project and then they say, okay, we want to use uh, reused materials, yeah. right? And then maybe they go and look for bricks and, and they put these bricks within the building and but there's a different aspect to it. And it's something that we call design for circularity where, okay, so you put this reused brick in your building, which is really good because it has low carbon emissions. But what happens, this building has an end of a lifetime. So yeah. what happens with this brick after it? Mm. Many people don't think about that aspect. So that, that is something that we call design for circularity where, okay, what will happen with this brick after 50, 100 or 150 years? How we, what will we use the brick for? Is it easy to take away this brick mm. from the building? So that's also an important part of, that's why we don't want, only want to say that we work with recycled or re, redu, uh, reused materials. Mm. But this is like not, I mean, this is too much for architects to think about, no? Mm. Or what is your reflection? <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah. I, I think that you probably need to specialize within, become an expert with one, within one of these or two of these areas, maybe. Mm. Um, so that, that's something you see that in the office, you have people who are experts in different areas, uh, the same way you have here at uh, AFRI that you have different groups and different experts. True. Yeah. You don't think it's like the project will cost so much because you, you bring so much ex experts to the table and also you, you take so much time to think about, to reflect the circular design, think about health. This will cost, like the project will be so much expensive for the client. Yeah, uh, I think that is one of the one of the um, most common obstacles that we face in our projects. It's mm. the cost part. And what I've realized is if we talk about um, reducing your carbon emissions and climate smart design, I, uh, and then also these design principles that we talked about, then you actually realize that the same principles that you use for reducing carbon emissions are also many times the same principles for reducing costs in project. So if you take a couple of hours, 50 hours and early on in the project, and you do these analysis of, okay, how can we reduce the amount of material? Then you realize, okay, we can save a lot of money for our customer. Mm. We can, you know, thinking about the design of the building. Okay, how can we reduce the amount of area or how can we maximize this area? 
So I think it's a it's a false it's a it's not a correct thinking or a, there's something wrong with that thinking that designing climate friendly or climate smart is always exp more expensive. My impression is that you can actually save money by doing it. Because if you look to the whole story and not only the design part. Yeah, because usually the budget is separated within, okay, consultant budget, yeah. building material budget, the building uh, the building budget, and then you realize, okay, so if you start a project and you have one or two years until it's going to start getting built, you don't know, you know, if the architect or the construction engineer early on in the project mm. finds solutions where, okay, we, we can save a lot of carbon emissions, but also a lot of money by, let's say, pre, uh, prefab uh, or modules. Well, that would impact the, um, the amount of time that it takes to build the building, right? Yeah. This is not something that you would calculate in your budget mm. uh, two years earlier. So you don't see that cost. You only see the cost that, okay, the architect is spending 10 or 20 more hours. <laughs> Uh, which you don't want, of course, but mm. then, okay, but we've saved like 200 hours or 300 hours in, in, in a like later stage. construction uh, yeah. phase. So so you think that uh, we are, we even need to rethink about, uh, about the, how to say, business model, like not only separate the t different activities and phases, but look to the whole story, to the whole phases. Yeah, I think so, definitely. Mm. Uh, I've thought about that question a, a bit because it's a, it, it's about risk, right? Um, yeah. If you're a consultant, you don't own the risk. But if you're the project manager or, or you're the one developing the building, yeah. you own the risk. If something gets, if something doesn't work, if the timeline isn't uh, held or the budget is uh, mm. thrown off, then you are responsible for that. You know, if the building needs to be tor torn down within thirty years, the architect and the construction engineer—they're they're long gone. Yeah. You won't be, be able to find them, but you will be able to find Skanska or Vasa Kronan Castellum, they will be there. Mm. So they will get the blame for it. So they own the risk. So my question is, well, in that case, um, I don't know what the solution to this is, but one, one, way of solution, uh, one way of solving it is that the consultants own the risk also. Um, either that you, you have a company that works the whole, the whole um, value chain, yeah. or that you have an incentivization um, model. How do you say that? Like that, you get an instrument that okay. If I if we save money, then I get a percentage of that savings. Mm. That is very very seldom in projects today. Mm -hmm. I would say. Yeah. Well, and if we talk about like your clients and yeah. link architect, are they more like into the sustainability way of thinking or doing like business as usual? I would say we have both. Mm. We have both. We have really big projects that um, where we don't have that. Uh, high sustainability ambitions but where we try and impact um the organizations and, and usually and then we also have come we also have companies that that actively come to us because they maybe have heard about one or two projects that we've done and they want to be they want us to help them with their project yeah and so so we have both of it and uh, um so in in and then that, that's a question you know Okay, should you inspire by just producing this good stuff, or should you also try and make this two percent, three percent change in the in these projects that don't have this clear ambition? Mm -hmm. Because that is also really, really valuable. You know, if you can do those small percentages in the project that don't didn't have an ambition at all. Yeah, yeah. So you, for you, it's like working with the both type of clients, not only with the people who believe in sustainability, but also with the others that 
not really into sustainability and try to to help them somehow? Yeah, I would say I am torn on this question. I, I don't know what your opinion is. It would be interesting to hear your opinion. I, I, I would say, you know, if you read about this uh, adoption model with early adopters yeah. and uh, late laggers, mm. then one one way of looking at it is that you should only focus on the people who are really positive yeah, and ambitious. In, into it, huh? Because then and they in case become ambassadors and they will spread this um, ambition and then people will follow. Yeah. I think Vasa Kronan is an example of that kind of company that that worked with many of these questions earlier on and now many other companies are following them. So in that case okay should we spend our focus our energy and time on companies like that who are you know that have ambitious goals and and look for partners that share our values and the same engagement? Or should we actually try and help those that aren't that informed or mm. um, maybe don't have the same possible economical possibilities of working with these questions? Yeah. What What is your opinion on that? I, I think I think we sh- we should work with both. The question is, as you know, is much more complicated. Mm. But what I think is, of course, we we need to to go hand in hand with the people that really believe in sustainability mm. and push them for more, because they will be like uh, idols. Mm. But also, as you you see, like the 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 city is not only about the people who believe in sustainability. We have so many others. Yeah. And as a consultant, we need to share our knowledge, and it's our our aim is to help everybody like that needs the the knowledge. I believe we should also pay attention to those who really cannot really afford that much money to be so much sustainable. And as a consultant, we need to find this mo- like models to help them to 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 step up. Yeah, and with a few steps, then they will be also get big and be exactly like the others that are really working hard with sustainability. So we, we need, I think, I believe we need to work with both. Yeah, if if our aim is really to build like a uh, how to say a climate friendly city or yeah. buildings, then we need to work with everybody and not leave someone behind. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a valid point. But then on the other hand, I mean, you only have a set amount of hours every week. Where, where yeah. you put your work in. Yeah. So then you still need to choose where do I put the, my hours in, mm. which which uh, which companies or which projects do I want to help? You exactly. Can't, you can't help. Uh, you you can't be everywhere. No, you cannot. And uh, that's why we we are so like so many offices in the market and like especially here in, here in Stockholm we are so yeah. many, and I think there there are also so many landlords in different uh, sustainability ambition. And I think there is everyone for everyone. So, so th- there, there is, there is someone can help as yeah. well. So it's uh, not like I know we have like a forty hour per week, yeah. and it's very strategical. Where do we put these hours? And in the end, I think uh, we need to fulfill this forty hour with with somebody. Yeah. So if, if not with the with the strong one, of course with the someone who who needs more like uh, help. And I, I think you you also more. I have to say, close to the land, working with landlords because I'm working more with the municipalities. And I think you see this trend of people start to get, ah, okay, we have to work with this. Even if we don't have so much money, but it's time. We cannot like just uh, stay silent and don't do anything. What, mm. what, what do you see the market? Where is the market going? Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think, um, you know, I, I've uh, we have this... Um, um, climate declaration that's um, trading to force now uh, 1st of January 2022 it feels like the majority of the market is you know 
waiting. It's like something. It's like it, a panic now. No, no, it's not Sorry? like a panic. It's more like something's on underneath the the water, you know, <laughs> and we don't know what it is, and it's you know this monster that's coming out, kind of. <laughs> and for me, you know, a lot of criticism has been um, uh, aimed at it because it doesn't put uh doesn't put a threshold or a limit value for how much a building can release, how many carbon dioxides. For you that don't know about it, then it's a it's a declaration that you have to declare your building the carbon impact of your building when when you build it, mm. and but it doesn't limit you in okay you need to reduce the carbon emissions by thirty percent, mm. which would be a really really important step for uh, working with climate change. But but my opinion is that okay I think that's important, but I but I think that this declaration actually will show the whole of Sweden like everybody needs to do this now, and, and it will. I think it will exponentially change the market how we look at it because the the question of how much carbon dioxide the building um, emits is going to be put on put on everybody's table. Mm. Do you think people or what do you see? Do you see people are willing more to live in a climate friendly building or they don't care really? Like people, I mean, like private say, people, private people, yeah, yeah. Private yeah. Persons, you, because yeah. you, you, you mentioned that you're the architect designing experience for people and so on. Mm. So, wh- how would you see the market? Are people here in Stockholm? Let's talk about Stockholm. Mm. Are really fine with living within a non-climate friendly building, or no? They, they really want to live in. A I think uh, private persons are very engaged we talked about that earlier you know that many people take this climate anxiety they go home with it and they think okay how can i what can i do in my life to to reduce my emissions and that's one thing that they think about i think is okay how can i live in a climate friendly house people like a lot of people think about that i think and that's also probably why electrical cars are more you know growing and uh, so so yeah i think definitely people want to have their whole cycle of life uh, climate friendly mm. But then on the other hand, you have this um, for offices, for instance, which is interesting. There's a lot of offices being built right now, which is in massive timber, in cross-laminated timber or glulam, which is this modern way of building timber buildings today. And it has the potential to reduce carbon emissions. And it has it's a you know very clear statement that your building is sustainable uh, today. And so many companies want to affiliate their their brand with that type of building so those projects are actually really well thought of uh you know there's a lot of companies that want to sit in these offices yeah so not only on the personal side but also on the business side that people really how to say associate the business with a climate friendly building or office yeah you you need to where you sit where you where you live needs to reflect uh, what you want to do if if you work with sustainability and it's an important aspect then you should sit maybe in a sustainable building but then that's a that's a that's all you know you you could you could think like that but then you could end up in a situation where actually okay let's move from these old uh, concrete buildings mm. to to build new timber buildings that's not a good solution <laughs> we need to like uh, and and there's a lot of people on you know uh, on linkedin um talking about this um that the most sustainable building is the building the, that we don't tear down or the building that we didn't build. Never build. Huh? Yeah. So you need to what do you have think? that in mind. I think um, I I like that. I like that uh, that saying, but I I prefer that the most sustainable building is the building that you don't tear down. 
Uh, uh, because not, otherwise, not it's not a building. So um, <laughs> if you didn't build it, it's not a building. So yeah, because like I I thought about it as well. Yeah. Because it doesn't exist. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a uh, it's um it becomes this uh, word of play kind of. Yeah, you know? I think so as well. So if can you tell us about a project or some projects that focus on on climate aspect like project by links? Yeah. Sure. So one of the first projects that we started uh, working with this question a lot is then uh, actually Lidl, a Lidl store in Visby, which is Sweden's first null CO2 certified or zero wow. CO2 certified store outside of, um, in, outside of uh, Visby in Gotland. And, and it's a building where we actually, you know, we looked at all the materials in the building. So we have identified almost all materials that go in within this building and then also measured, okay, what is their carbon emissions? And for people listening, um, maybe we didn't mention that, but uh, in Sweden anyway, the carbon emissions from the building sector is 20% of Sweden's total wow. carbon emissions. That's huge. Yeah, it's more, it's actually, the car, the building sector actually releases more carbon uh, dioxide than uh, the cars on our roads. Mm. And that people usually don't know about that. So that's why it's a really important question. You know, okay, how can we build a building that has low carbon emissions? So that, that's what we did with Lidl Visby, this null CO2 project. And we, re, we were able to reduce the carbon emissions by more than 50% in that project by, by using timber. And then we used this modern uh, cross-laminated timber and glue lamb. And then we also used a concrete, which has lower um, CO2 um, emissions. As a as a bottom, and then all the materials, the isolation, everything. It there was two aspects of it. One was that it shouldn't cost too much, but also, but it should also reduce emissions. So that was also always two parameters that we try to take care of. Mm. But when you say like uh, reduce the emissions, is it by the materials or even later when the building is running? So I've been focusing a lot about on the materials mm. recently because that is a. Uh, so usually, roughly, you could say of a building, maybe 50% or a bit more of the carbon emissions from a building comes from the building materials. Mm. So when they are produced, when they are transported, and when they are put up on the building uh, site, that's more than that's usually more than 50% of the building's total CO2. Yeah. And then you have the other aspect, which is then the energy use of the building mm. over the next 50 or 100 years. Yeah. And But you need to remember that that part is actually something that we've been working on for decades. So in Sweden, it's quite interesting that, you know, we've been able to build more and more energy efficient buildings. And we've also uh, been able to reduce the, the emissions from our energy mix. So in Sweden, we have very low carbon emissions from our uh, heating and electricity. So when you look at, and, and that's something I usually joke that, you know, looking at Sweden is, um, is like looking into the future. Because if you've done that journey that Sweden has done, reducing carbon emissions from the energy um, mix and then also reduce it, building more and more energy efficient buildings, then you're actually stuck with this big pile of materials mm. that has a large, huge yeah. CO2 impact. Mm. And that's why I've been focusing on that part because no, very few people are focusing on that part. And it's pretty obvious for me that the, the energy mix globally is going towards more and more renewables and building more and more energy efficient. So if you Google carbon emissions from buildings, 
you would see almost everywhere. The Nordic countries are quite aware of this and many other countries, but if you Google like uh, for the US or mm. um, Australia, they don't talk about the materials. They only talked about the energy, mm. the carbon emissions from the energy, which is of course important, but they will do the same journey as we have done here. And when they have done that journey, they will also be stuck with these materials that have a lot of carbon emissions. Mm. And then Sweden will already have uh, done this. I mean, we will be able to export our uh, knowledge, we'll be able to export our materials because everybody in the industry, you know, it's not only consultants talking about this, you know, all, if you want to survive in Sweden, the timber industry needs to lower their carbon emissions from the building materials. The concrete industry is doing uh, are doing massive changes right now. The steel industry is d- is producing fossil free uh, steel. Wow, that's unique, you know. And so the whole like all different parts of the value chain are working on this question, and I, I think that's just fascinating. Yeah. So so because now it's I want to take opportunity and to ask you about like the different industry that are producing the materials, how is it going there? Are they like also being so innovative and thinking a lot about climate? The materials? Or yeah, yeah. I would say there's um, there's a lot of new materials on the market that the are... Swedish market. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, Northern Europe. I, that That's my, that's my, uh, where I have my eyes on yeah. anyway. So, and so, yeah, there's a lot of new materials that are is working. There, there are companies that are producing... Um, you know, you have a concrete slab at the bottom of the building, mm. which usually stands for a significant part of CO2. There are companies that are trying to reduce that so we don't have carbon, uh, concrete, I mean, that we have uh, recycled glass there, for instance. Okay, alternative and, materials. Yeah, and also there are, you know, ventilation ducts being produced in uh, recycled materials instead of uh, steel or alum- aluminum. There are there are so many companies. And, and I I feel that, I, I work with this question uh, daily, mm. and I think I, I don't have, you know, I'm always surprised, wow, does this company exist? They are producing this <laughs> material. Why haven't I heard about them? Yeah. It's a weird, it's weird that there are so many uh, companies and people who are engaged in this question, and you've never even heard about them. So there's so much going on. And then I thought, okay, so if I, who, who's really passionate about this, and I work with this, don't know about all of these companies and, and solutions, what about... Everyone others. else in, yeah. in working in this building sector. Why, why, why we don't hear about people like uh, working hard with making climate friendly materials or even buildings? Know. You tell me. What is your theory on that? No, no. Maybe like the media is not really focusing on them, or maybe, maybe. Yeah. I think also no. To be to be honest, to be fair as yeah. well, I think some businesses and really hard, great hard workers and thinkers, creative people focusing a lot on the business without focusing about the storytelling and communication. Ah. I, I noticed that in many different, like uh, with many different startups and so on, that they're doing amazing products, products, yeah. services, but they're not really good in telling the stories and telling the markets that we are here, we're doing this, uh, like communicating what they do. That's yeah. why maybe we are not really here about them. Yeah. it's It's just one aspect, I think. I think it's a good aspect and maybe it's like a fine line, you know, how to spend your time trying to improve your product and then also trying to get your product out in the market. Exactly. Like to, to, to sell it in a more interesting way, not like really selling, selling, Yeah. but more selling it with the, what value it generates. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Yeah. I think that's a good point, but also I think it's, um, 
I think that people are afraid of trying new things and they, they also, they always think about, you know, trying new materials is a risk, which mm. I, I understand it, it is a risk, but we need to take risks. We need to try it out. Yeah. So it's much better to try it out. And uh, that's why I like one of other, our other projects called uh, Hoppet. It's a fossil free school, preschool uh, in Gothenburg, which nice. has got, uh, actually it's a really fun project because uh, it's won a lot of uh, global awards now. But what, what I liked most about it was that it's it has this playfulness to the project. And it so it has a main building and then it has a lot of complementary buildings. And in the, all of the complementary buildings, they are experimenting with new materials, recycling, mm. you know, all of this stuff, uh, which you would never put in um, a huge business project because it's too much risk. Yeah. But then you could actually, but then you can try it out. So that's one way of trying it out. You know, you try it out on a small building. Uh, okay, let's see what happens. Mm. Um, but was the client part of this? I mean, I, I guess. In Gothenburg, you mean, or? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. They are the ones driving that change. I think Gothenburg's uh, local vaulting should get a huge amount of credit for that. Mm. If you if you Google Hoppet, you will see, well, that's, they've been working with this. They have this really cool vision that they want to hop it. So that's the name of the preschool. It means like hope. Hope, yeah. Yeah. And that's the name of the um, of the um, of the building, but it's also the it's also actually a name of the project. So it's not just one building. It's actually a dream or a vision that mm. all future preschools in Gothenburg should be fossil free. Wow. And this is then the first one and then they should take the learnings and the knowledge mm. within from this project and then just keep on going. So the next preschool will be better and the next one will yeah. be better. And that's a really good way of working because then not not all, sometimes you know many of these developers they they give all the responsibilities to the consultants and the consultants gets all the knowledge and you know um, uh, expertise. But actually, in Gothenburg, in this project, they are building up a lot of knowledge within themselves, mm. and they will bring this to the next project and the next project. So they will just keep on growing. I think. Yeah, like the client will take yeah. the, the knowledge further to the next project. Yeah. Mm. So if I understand correctly, to to make a or to reduce the carbon emissions with by architecture and buildings is that you need like um, architects with the knowledge. Yeah. You need a very in, engaged uh, client as well. Yeah, because the knowledge is existing, but then it's about the the client. Or? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I would say also you need, I would say you you would have to you need an open mind, um, and you would you need to be willing to take some risks. Mm. You need to be, you need to put up early on an ambition. If, if you if you say okay, maybe we build with low carbon emissions, or maybe not. Mm then you probably will end up maybe not yeah. because if you if you have that 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 state of mind early on in the project you won't take the necessary decisions actually letting the the people working in the projects doing their thing so mm. it's not only about the architect it's actually about the construction engineer it's about the vvs it's about the con, uh, acoustics it's about the fire engineer everybody needs to understand that okay we're doing this project and we're trying to reduce the emissions in this mm. project how do we do it? Yeah. If you used to, if, if if you just continue on doing the same thing that you've been doing for the last twenty years, you'll end up with the same thing that you had twenty years ago. Mm. So you need to make a statement early on. Okay, this is the ambition, and then let people work on it because people will work. I think that's also interesting because you you focus a lot about um, 
urbanism and you know how do we design cities yeah and isn't this a parallel to that that in the in the past we used to design from top down of course and then now we're talking a lot about you know engaging from bottom up yeah yeah like uh, to co-create with people with other experts not only us as a planners or architects yeah because like some cities really not functioning and they are causing so much carbon emissions yeah and it's because that we it was just one discipline who designed the city yeah but as you as you mentioned in the beginning of this um, episode that we need so many different expertise now mm. in order to create like um to in order to reduce the carbon emissions in our cities yeah and i think that you know in uh, you talk a lot about that in in the urban landscape you know if you design cities that we yeah. need to try and maybe i don't know are are we good at doing that today would you say we we uh, i will not say yes Going bottom up uh, not really no to be okay. honest not 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 we we still in the kind of uh top down and only the how to say the experts the seniors mm. uh not so many projects that people welcoming other expertise but now i'm i'm like this is in general yeah um here like uh, at afri the company i work with we have like big teams and th- this is the cool thing here for me i think it's very cool that we have like so many different expertise that I just can write them on, you know, on Teams yeah. or or on the email. Please, can you can you help me with this? And then I find like a traffic engineer standing next to me. Or can you help me with this sewage system or yeah. like water management? And do they help you? Yeah, they help yeah. me. They will. They're they're like so happy. They are so helpful. But now we are like talking about that. It needs you mentioned it needs a mindset and like thinking and to be like sure that I want to to reduce carbon emissions and yeah so i think that the projects that i've been in where we've been able to reduce the carbon emissions a lot Mm -hmm. then it's really important that the project actually works from bottom up Mm. where the the expertise in in the bottom they uh they project their ideas upwards and then you take decisions on that and you let them you let them be creative you Mm. let them work Uh, it the project that worked very strictly top down usually run out in the sand or, or usually it ends up being used the same regular building mm. because people don't feel secure they don't they don't they don't have the yeah. time to put in the projects mm. to to help the customer actually yeah there's no not so much space for being creative innovative and to reflect actually yeah. mm. when it's like too much top down yeah and everything is already decided yeah but in one sense you know in a philo- philosophical term in one sense you know letting people work from bottom up actually requires a very strong top because the top needs to actually very clearly state okay we want you to work creative and and then say that to the bottom mm. uh, in the if you want to put it in a hier- hierarchical yeah. point of view but yeah but this needs like a very sp- strong bra- leaders brave leadership brave leadership yeah like if you really want to to people be creative and contribute to the big how to say course yeah mm. then you need to be really brave and and let them do it yeah and you don't know what's gonna you don't know the solution you don't know what's going to happen mm. but but you take that you're you're willing to take that risk and, and you go down that road mm. and and you learn from it and usually you end up fine usually you, you think you so come out yeah usually you come out stronger how was the how was the uh the story with the Lidl and with the school yeah i mean both of those projects have been you know been uh, from their point of view they're taking a risk doing this nobody had ever done it before mm-hmm. and um 
Well, they'll they will have to answer that question. But I can just say that well, Hoppet is now winning many global awards. Congratulations! Yeah, it's uh, congratulations to them. I think it's amazing. And uh, Little Visby has been uh, in the media um, everywhere, and they are a company that's been maybe struggling with their identity in Sweden. You know, who are Li- who who is Little? And the one <laughs> way of uh, trying to make them stick out is um, becoming more sustainable. And now there are like their buildings are the, maybe the most sustainable buildings um, within that sector. You know, wow. they've really done a, a journey in mm-hmm. that. And I think that's a really cool journey to follow, actually. And I think uh, I would love to like interview yeah. them, but I think it's about the leadership that they're really w- they they really want to be number one. Yeah, yeah. I would say uh, it's really interesting. I would I would recommend interviewing Matthias Toss. Mm. Um, I think he's a really interesting character uh, who actually gives a lot of you know he he takes on a strong leadership role, but then also permits the group to do. Well, uh, you know, trust trust the group. Also. Yeah, tr- exactly. Build that trust. Yeah. How how is it going for you? Like working as a environmental expert with architects. What what are the challenges that you're facing? Okay, so that's a it's um, a broad question. I would say, um, the co- one of the challenges I'm facing is something that we talked. You know, we, we mentioned uh, briefly before was that I get a feeling of. Um, lack of focus that people are trying to run at every sustainability. They don't know which sustainability question to focus on and where, and they just try and focus on everything. Mm. So that's one of the challenges, you know, trying to get projects and companies to focus on one, two or three uh, main challenges and do them really, really well. Mm. And many people won't agree with me on that. I think many people always want to have this holistical view, which I think also is important. But I, th- I really believe that you need to have a focus. Um, if you, you, you can't solve all problems at once. I, I, I can relate to to the challenge that you're mentioning now because here when I started to work on AFRI, mm. I developed a kind of SDGs like uh, what do you call it, tool? Yeah. To focus on like very very few goals yeah because you cannot really work with all the 17 yeah at once it's almost impossible yeah that's why we have so many different because like you need it's 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 difficult to work with all of them yeah so so the the tool is about okay let's focus on some of them more with the quality that we really contribute to this and not say oh we work with all we of work them with everything and it's not really it's not really true yeah that's used, to, you know, because that's the risk of doing that is then uh, greenwashing. That you yeah. you say you work with everything, but then actually you don't Nothing. do it. You're just talking, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that's important. That that's an important stance to make for yourself. You know, okay, so how am I contributing? I'm not saying that that uh, that's applied for Afria. I'm just saying that's applied for all companies. All of us. Yeah. All of us. Everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are the other challenges? That this is one focusing on like. Um, solving or contributing to one of uh, sustainability aspects what are the others that you you face in your so one pretty um cool challenge i would say right now is um many times when we work in a project we okay so let's say we're building a wall and then we look at these two walls uh, so this is really common in the in the climate uh, when we're trying to reduce the, the climate uh, or the carbon emissions so we look at these two different walls and we say, okay, which one is the better from from a carbon perspective or carbon emission perspective? And then you say, okay, so wall number A, it's made of timber, it's better. 
mm. and then compare to wall number B or C, you know, and you compare these, but then actually, and then you do this analysis, but then you realize, okay, but what, wait, wait a minute, we're only analyzing these two different walls mm. and actually uh, uh, the project is much more complex than this. And the wall in itself is part of the building and the building is, uh, you could look at it as a system. So choosing wall number A actually will change what the slab will look like. It might change how many, how much windows you need, how much, what the roof will look like. So it, one change here changes everything. It becomes like a myriad of changes. This is a challenge I'm facing today. How do you take that into account? Because in one way you want to have, you know, these, um, what does this change mean in the rest of the building? Um, You know, people don't think about this. I've realized in many projects that focus on the climate change, they don't think about this. They just compare wall versus wall. And, and, but if they do think about it, then it's okay. But how do we do it in a reasonable way? Because you can't go into too much detail because then you'll end up, you know, uh, spending too many hours on, on nothing kind of Mm -hmm. at the end of it. Yeah. Do you do you believe that like because in the podcast, as you know, I talk a lot about smart cities and so on. Do you yeah. believe like artificial intelligence will help architects with doing this kind yeah. of choices? Yeah, for sure. You think so? Yeah, there's um there's this um there's this digital era growing right now. So I think that we're in a transformation age of, you know, going from concrete to renewables materials. Mm. I think we're in a transformation age of, you know, building buildings with lower carbon emissions and climate neutral buildings. But I think we're also in a transformational age of digitalness where we're going to more and more parametric design. And parametric design is then, as you mentioned, AI or machine learning, where the computer then becomes the architect and kind of the architect in a way. Yeah. You could uh, definitely see a future within, you know, 5, 10, 15 years, I don't know, where the computer actually does the main, a lot of the things that the architects do today could actually be done by a computer. Mm. And that's also interesting because link architectures actually have hired a lot of uh, people who are really good at just parametric design. Cool. So um, I'm, I'm not an expert within that field, but I, I, I'm really amazed about what it what the computers can design and what it can do. So like the, it's more based on data. Yeah. Mm. And then actually you could put up a couple of parameters. You say, okay, I want to build um, with this amount of uh, glass, but I, w- I still want this amount of daylight. I want this amount of um, uh, sun hours on in summer and in yeah. winter. You put up all those parameters and then the computer just goes through it. Beep, beep, beep. And then you get this complete building and wow. it's designed the building for you. Some people are discouraged by this idea that they want humanity in the building. And I think, but maybe you could have both. Maybe you could have the computer doing the, the rough design and then the architect comes in and uh, and, and brings in the humanity to it. I, I believe in that as well because many people are afraid of yeah. this kind of tools or AI, machine learning. They be like, are we going to lose the soul of the buildings? There will not be life there. Yeah. And I was thinking, okay, but let's say AI do the, the business. I mean, yeah. like calculating and because they can think faster than us, yeah. of course. They save so many hours. And the hours that we save, let's focus on creating the life between buildings, okay, or in the buildings. Okay, how do we create a good experience? Because like the AI solved the, the climate issue yeah, by the design or, or by the material somehow. Yeah. So I think it's we have to work hand in hand. 
Yeah, I think so too. It's not like, okay, we give the job to AI or no, we keep keep it for us. Yeah. Because no, it, we, we have to face this. It's happening. It's inevitable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also, I think another argument to that is, you know, we're losing, uh, we might lose the soul of the buildings. I feel that we've already lost the soul of many of the buildings that are being built today. I, I don't think they are being built for humans. Mm. They're being built for economical returns. Mm. That is the main driver in many projects. And if you go back and you look at what was built during the eight, 1800s or 1900s, you look at those buildings and peop- those buildings are buildings that people love. And, yeah. and then it's like, okay, so why do people love those buildings? Well, it's maybe because they have so much details and there's like, you know, they're not perfectly geomet- geometrical shapes. Mm-hmm. They're actually uneven and stuff. And and then the question is, well, one argument for why buildings look the way they look today, I'm not saying this of all buildings. And yeah, of actually, course, of course. Um, but many people say that, well, well, then you could see it as AI or parametric design actually enables this type of buildings again with more details, with more, um, because it, it, it uh, reduces the hours you need to put in the project, but also the computer can help you with this type of design. Or if you have 3D um, uh, printing, etc., you could print out facades that have this detail. People say, well, we can't do it because it costs too many hours. Well, a computer doesn't cost hours. Exactly. So there are also possibilities of bringing the soul back mm-hmm. into our buildings. Mm-hmm. With so, this. so you believe strongly that... Um, Technology can help us a lot with reducing carbon emissions in our buildings. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, mm. for sure. Great. Mm. So, you're about to ask this here, but why no one will thank architects? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let me ask. So, like, yeah, we talk a lot about design, architecture, and climate change, but like, to be honest, why no one thanks architects that do the most climate that do the most for climate change? Why? Why? Yeah, so this is uh, this is something that I said to provoke um, before, and it's a realization I got that if you were if you uh, if you really want to reduce the carbon emissions, it just struck me. You know, I was working in this project, and it just struck me that okay, so the best thing we can do when if if this building need during the premise premise that this building needs to be built, mm. then the absolutely best thing we can do is build this building so it doesn't get torn down within 50 or 60, 70 years. And many, many buildings today get torn down after this amount of years. And it's not because of the materials, it's because of the financial uh, um, investment criteria. It's more profitable for companies to build new. Mm. So, and maybe because the building is not flexible. So when you look at uh, the carbon emissions of a building, um, the architect can present you solutions. Okay, change the material from concrete to timber, then you're able to reduce the carbon emissions, right? But if you show the customer that you've built a flexible building, nobody will know until the at, after 50, it will only be known after 50, 70, or 100 years. If the building is still there, then you can thank the architect. Yeah. But you won't know this. And, and this is the absolutely biggest impact you can have in a project. Mm. If you design a building that, that people love that is that isn't torn down that is used for a long time so all the buildings that we look at today that are still standing well thank the architects that did those yeah i i, I think yeah i i understand your point yeah it's, it's super interesting yeah and in a project nobody you know if i'm if i'm presenting uh, solutions to the customer and i say okay change the material we can reduce the carbon emissions by 20% mm. but then 
and and then the the project gets a lot of publicity and and yeah. people are happy. Oh, we reduced it by twenty percent, but nobody tells the story of the building that didn't that didn't get torn down. Mm, that's still hundred, existing in hundred years in the future. Nobody mm. thanks anybody for that, but that's <laughs> the biggest thing you can do. Ah, exactly. Yeah. Do, do you do we have in Sweden like the needed tools that help us to reduce emission when you when we design? Yeah, for sure. We have um, many different tools and. We were talking about that also, you know, it's a, it's a new, it's a new area. So there are no set tools that, okay, these are the best tools right now. Mm. There, there are, um, you can work in the 3D model, you can work in Excel sheets, you can work with uh, cloud-based uh, calculation tools. Th there are different types of 3D tools. We talked about the parametric design. Well, you can use that. You can also use regular type of 3D models uh, that can help you reduce the carbon emissions in the projects. And um, yeah, it's it's a really cool that um, it's a cool field to work in now because there's many new companies, yeah. many new products uh, being released all the time. That's amazing. So it's uh, so much fun for you. Yeah, it is. It's almost too much going on. <laughs> I, I don't know how to you know uh, catch up. Yeah, <laughs> I feel. No, but I I I am really happy we 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 have we're having this conversation. I learned a lot actually, because for me I'm not only the like how to say. I, I don't have so much knowledge when it comes to reducing the emissions about buildings. Yeah. But now like I, I, I learn a lot, especially with the design principles. Like I think it's very, very, very helpful. But I think in one way, actually, you know, nobody thanks the person who who designs something that isn't torn down. Mm. Actually, you are working with that because you work with the social sustainability mm. part, places that people love, where people want to stay. So actually that is a requirement for not tearing down, you know, a city. If if you build a city where people live, exactly. You're working with that part. So nobody is actually thanking you for your mm. carbon emissions uh, reducing <laughs> abilities. Yeah. So let's now we are in the in the final section of yeah. this uh, interesting episode and it's going to be more about you. Okay. About Alexander. Yeah. So let's start with the first question. If you are not a human and you will be an animal, which animal will you be and why? I would say tiger. Tiger. Yeah, tiger. Whoa. I, lo I love tigers. <laughs> because of um my my mother comes from England so in the summers we used to go there's no tigers in England. But uh <laughs> you're, we, you're the one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we used to go up uh, visit my granddad and grandma in in England and every summer he had always taped these v VHS tapes and uh, BBC documentaries. Yeah. And they were always, you know, the tiger ones. And I've always <laughs> loved them. Uh, I think they're so cool animals. They're so gracious and they look beautiful, but then they're also deadly, you know? Yeah, uh, they're dangerous. Like, yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah. So I like those. Tiger. Yeah. Tiger. Interesting. <laughs> and what is your, your favorite building? My favorite building? Um, that's, a, that's a good question. I would say um, it, it's a it's a building in in Spain outside of Barcelona, I think, called uh, La Fabrica Cementa, something like that. It's actually a old cement factory, okay. which isn't uh, in production right now, but an architect um, may remade it wow. into a, a living area. Into, so it's like this huge cement factory, which is a which is a house now. Wow! And I think that that that's like, a, and then also it's really cool because the area around it has the nature has really taken Over. hold of it, yeah. and that's like the story everywhere. If you leave, if you leave an area, the nature takes over. Yeah. 
And this is really a statement of that where, you know, trees are growing on yeah. top of the building, you know, everything. I think that's just such a cool building uh, yeah. because of also the point of view, you know, where where maybe we are going from an era of concrete everywhere to maybe not concrete, uh, maybe using concrete where it's needed instead. Mm. Um, so it's like a, it's a metaphorical statement as well, maybe. Awesome. Yeah. I, I will Google this building, actually. Yeah. It sounds really interesting. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. And uh, how about public spaces? I work with urban planning and now I'm so interested yeah knowing what is your favorite public space ah okay so how would you how how would you know that the answer to that question would you say that okay this is my favorite uh, spot or is it a spot where you actually visit a lot it's how, like how would you define it it's it's like you choose a public space that would you love to go there like when you wake up or now if you, i ask you where do you want to go yeah you pick up a public space that you want to go to I love um, going on Söder. I, I feel at home at Söder, at uh, around Mosebacke or Maria Torget. Mm. I really like those areas. I, I don't know. I always get a familiar welcome when I'm there. That's cool. Yeah. What, what is your favorite? Spot? I have I have many actually, but my yeah. mine is a bit uh, not like a traditional one. I like the the Piazza Duomo in Milano, like in the front of the church. Wow. It's very big. Yeah. It's like the scale is not really a human-friendly scale, but there I see pe- people. And yeah. when I see people, I, I go crazy. Like when I see people walking, sitting on the edge, you know, wow. it's like, it's really beautiful. I, and and I, I like the architecture there. Yeah. So these like these three elements and also the arts, you know, yeah. like in, in there, it's very popular there. So I, th- I, I, I love that place. Wow. It's, it's really beautiful. Yeah. It sounds awesome. Yeah, it's, it's. I also like the aspect of having a lot of people in in the, in the surroundings. Yeah, actually, uh, one of the places I'm thinking about when you mentioned that is uh, Vesterhamnen in Malmo, because mm. I love that place because there's so many people always yeah. walking there, and then you can just you know jump into the ocean. It's such a cool place where you have people meeting nature, kind of. Exactly, I it's love like that, this actually. beautiful transition. I, ch- I like changed my answer. <laughs> No, but also uh, Jan Gale, uh, mm. he says that people brings people. Yeah. So if you have people, bring more people, and it's like a attraction, it's creating yeah. more attractions. And we love to be places where there are other people as well. Yeah. Is that uh, why cities are just growing and growing? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's like people, I'd say, create businesses, destinations, and so on. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, what are your your hobbies? Do you have time? Yeah, I, your hobbies. I I do. I um I try to train a lot. I and when I train, I love uh, playing beach volleyball. Wow! And it's also for me uh, a social. I, I have my friends are playing beach volleyball, so it's you know combining the social part and the training physical yeah. part. So I I, lo- I I I play a lot of beach volleyball. How do you do that in Sweden do, when the weather is? Actually, you know. Um, Don't tell me there's indoor. Yeah, yeah, there's an indoor <laughs> uh, facility in Södertälje. Yeah. Really? Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm not that good at at it, but I but I love playing it. And you know, people think that oh, uh, Sweden can't be any good at beach volleyball. <laughs> Actually, we have uh, two young kids playing beach volleyball now who are 18 and 19. Uh, Jonathan and David, Oman um, and Helvig, they're called, and they are like maybe top 30 in the world. Wow. They they are really really good. And our neighbors in Norway, um, uh, Anders Moll and Christian Sörum, they're called. 
uh, they won the Olympics. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so when you when when you ask like how can you play beach volleyball in Sweden, you know, I get that question all the time. Yeah. Well, Norway are the best in the world. How? Yeah. <laughs> With the indoor. I don't know. Facilities. Um, I don't know. That's it's so uh, cool. Yeah. So they beat all the Brazilians, all the Americans, yeah, yeah, everybody. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So you're playing a lot. What are the other hobbies or only this one? I love cooking. Um, mm. I love cooking. Um, that's something I like to do. I like uh, reading a lot of books. Um, I, I do I do that a lot and taking taking walks. And usually I combine those two. So I listen a lot on audiobooks. Okay, uh, that's good. Yeah, that's my best. Saving a lot of time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, combining those two. I, I love that, just thinking. Yeah. Mm, yeah, so those are a couple of my hobbies. That's amazing. Say. Did you develop any new ho- hobby during the COVID? You know, people start to play instruments. Mm-hmm. Did you get something new or no? I haven't reflected on that. <laughs> I haven't reflected at all. Because many people actually got a new hobby during the COVID, you know, like yeah, started with something new. Ah, huh. no, I don't think so. But but of, yeah no I don't think I started a new hobby, maybe I should have my Corona <laughs> hobby. Do people keep on their Corona hobby? I, uh, no, I think after the pandemic they'd be like, this is what's okay. A pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> a, yeah, I understand. Yeah, that's awesome. So now we are in the last two questions. Yeah. The first one is gonna be you giving us the listeners three takeaway messages. Three takeaway messages for uh, re- for building climate smart or. Yes, or in general, like climate smart, leadership, personal, you decide. Well, then I would say, you know, start by doing, uh, take risks. And, uh, you know, if you don't know exactly how to build a climate smart building, well, you need to start. You need to start by trying and doing that. And then you would learn because um, put yourself in a situation where you have small errors, I would say. That, that's something really important. The second thing is that if you want to build a climate smart uh, building is instead of trying to figure everything out 100%, use a couple of design principles and give those to the project group to work around. And everybody can take their own take on those design principles, how to reduce the carbon emissions and let that cre- let that create creativity. And I think that was like actually five in one. So <laughs> maybe I'll leave it there. Awesome. And the last question is going to be you asking it to us, not me. The, the listeners, or? Yeah, you ask me and the listeners one question. Yeah. Well, in that case, I would really want to know the listeners what their best idea for reducing carbon emissions for, for buildings would be. That, that would be really cool because I don't think that, that all alternatives are there. So, okay, listeners, if you have solutions, uh, Write them somewhere. Is there like a... So, no, they, they can send it to you on LinkedIn. Okay. Send them on LinkedIn or email Mustafa. Uh, <laughs> email bomb him. And also, <laughs> if you have companies that are working with these type of solutions with new climate smart materials, um, let us know. That, that that I would like to love to hear about. From all over the world. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much, Alexander. I'm very inspired by the I'm conversation. Inspired. Thank you, Mustafa. Uh, it was awesome being here. Likewise. So hopefully see you again and uh, to talk more about interesting topics as well. Yeah, let's meet up at uh, Maria Torget. Let's do that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Ciao.
Well, thank you so much for listening to Urbanistica podcast. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. You learned something new and also got inspired by the guest. Don't forget to share the episode on your social media and recommend it to people you think they are really interested in this topic. Thank you so much again for giving your valuable time to Urbanistica podcast. I am Mustafa Sharif. Keep up the good work. Keep loving cities.